Welcome to the Military Psychology Podcast Network, the Society for Military Psychology, Division 19 of the American Psychological Association, is producing several series applying psychological principles in military settings. We'll feature topics including diversity, consulting, behavioral health in the military, and specialty areas. We address the question, what is military psychology, and answer it a number of ways. Follow the Society for Military Psychology at www.militarypsych.org. The Intro to Military Psychology podcast is an official podcast by the Society for Military Psychology, Division 19 of the American Psychological Association. It does not represent the position of the American Psychological Association or any of its other divisions or subunits. The contents, views, or opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Uniformed Service University, Department of the Army, Navy, or the Air Force. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm still keen. And with me, we have Ethan. Welcome to the intro to Mill Psych, Military Psychology Podcast. We're glad to have you. And today we have a very special guest, Captain John Ralph. Hello, Captain Ralph. How are you today? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And today our, our theme for our episode today will be focusing on how to get into military psychology. And Captain Ralph has an extensive experience in this domain. I'll turn it over to you, Captain Ralph, to talk about your background and your experience, and we'll go from there. Great. Well, happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to join you guys on this podcast. I am actually retired, Captain Ralph. I retired from the Navy in 2019, and so I was in the Navy for 32 years in one capacity or another, but most of that time was spent as a psychologist. I actually started off in the Navy. I I went to Notre Dame undergraduate, and I was part of Notre Dame's Naval ROTC program there. So when I graduated from college back in 1987, I started off as a surface warfare officer in the Navy. So I was on ships for a while as a regular line officer. And after about five or six years, I decided to go to grad school. And that was before USIS. I had heard USIS was coming, uh, and I would love to have applied to USIS, but the program didn't exist at that time. So I actually resigned from active duty, and I was a reservist, drilling reservist, while I went to grad school at Northwestern University in Evanston and returned to active duty for my doctoral internship at what was at the time Bethesda Naval Hospital. Right. And so I did my internship there. And then I served as a psychologist from 1995 till 2019 in various locations and capacities, which I can talk about as we go. I had the privilege of being the Navy psychology specialty leader, which is in the Army and the Air Force, I believe they call that the consultant. Mm -hmm. So I did that for about five years. And now I am, as a retiree, I am the national training director for Navy psychology. So I'm really in charge of all of our accession pipelines. We have various ways of entering the Navy as a psychologist. And I'm the person who's primarily responsible for making sure that those pipelines are all filled with good quality people so that we can keep our community healthy and strong with the kind of people that we need. So that's what I do now. So again, happy to be with you to talk about all of those pathways uh, for those who are thinking about joining the Navy as a psychologist. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. So 30 plus years of experience. So I think you know more than most people about military psychology and and what it means to be military psychologist. And, And I guess one of the things you mentioned early on was you were a line officer and then you switch over and become a military psychologist. So what led you to that decision? Yeah, you know, I was a psychology major in school. So I've always been interested in psychology. I always thought about it as a potential career. Mm -hmm. You know, as a line officer, I was a division officer on a ship. So I had a lot of people working for me, you know, 30 or so division officer on a ship. And 
you know, you do a lot of counseling in that capacity. You work with a lot of people on their life goals. You work with them on their the issues that they're having at home. You work with them on their professional issues and trying to get them where they want to go in their career. And, you know, I really think doing that just kind of solidified my interest, thinking, hey, I want to work with people doing this kind of counseling. But, you know, back to my psychology roots and the kind of stuff I studied in school. So I just, you know, over my time as a surface warfare officer, my those, that interest just peaked over time to the point where I decided to pursue that. And I was happy, you know, I didn't want to leave the Navy. Mm-hmm. I really would have to stayed in while I went to school. So I did that as much as I could. I was, again, a drilling reservist. So I would go to grad school during the week and then go to my reserve unit on the weekends. And in the summers, I was able to be activated and to, to serve in the summer times. But my goal really was from the beginning to return to active duty as a psychologist. That was really what I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, I think I've always been more interested in military psychology than psychology. Yeah. I'm not sure I would want to be a psychologist outside of the military, but I really wanted to use my background to support the mental health readiness of people in the Navy in particular. So I've always been drawn to the military and I've wanted to stay in the military. How big of a ship, like what kind of ship are we talking that you were on as a surface warfare officer? I was on a destroyer, the USS Scott, stationed out of Norfolk, Virginia. And I was on that ship for probably four and a half years. Wow. Back then, you know, if you're a SWO now, you do what they call a split tour. You do 18 months on one ship and then usually 18 months on another ship back to back. Back then, we did everything on the same ship. So I was in the engineering department at first. I was the electrical officer of the ship. And then over time, I became the ship's navigator, which I really enjoyed. I really liked navigation. I think that was a, I would continue to do that for forever if I could. I thought that was a lot of fun, just navigating, you know, creating the charts for the ship and plotting the positions and shooting the stars, trying to get a celestial yeah. fix at night. Oh, I wow. That was, I thought that was really interesting. and That's and, very unique. Yeah. And I stayed on that ship, you know, even long when I decided to leave, I extended. So I was on that ship for quite a while, did a, a couple of Mediterranean deployments and boy, it became a big part of my life. That ship was my home away from home, USS Scott. Sure. No longer in existence, now sold to the Taiwanese Navy, I believe. Oh, wow. I still have a lot of great friends from that time in the Navy and look back on it fondly. It sounds like you definitely had psychology in your future from the time that you were in undergrad. I'm kind of curious, like at what stage and how did you learn about military psychology specifically? And like, what kind of materials did you reference or what did you use to like read more about it or learn more about military psychology at that time? I'm wondering what information was even out there? Yeah, not a lot. I remember as I started to look into it, again, USIS was in the, the apple of someone's eye. At least I knew USIS was coming. Yeah. I remember the main person that I ended up coming into contact with was a retired naval officer who was then the national training director, the job I'm in now, a guy named Bob McCullough. And he really was and still is. He's still around. I still see him from time to time. Really, uh, you know, one of the the founding fathers of of Navy psychology. Mm-hmm. I was able to connect with him, and so I knew how it worked. I knew that I could return as an intern, and then have that be the the jumping off point for my Navy career as a psychologist. So he was really my main point of contact while I was in graduate school, and became a great mentor of mine. You know, if you talk to Anyone, you know, 10 years older or 10 years younger than me who's joined the Navy as a psychologist, they will talk on and on about Dr. McCullough, just one of the great people of our community and still a great mentor of mine. I was happy he was at my retirement ceremony a year or two ago, which was a great thrill for me. But he's the one that I guess kept me interested and kept my eye on the ball in terms of coming back into the Navy on active duty as a psychologist. There is a long line of tradition. I was recruited by Captain Gekka, Eric Gekka. Yeah. He was also mentored by Dr. McCullough. And so I think it's just a lot of tradition and a lot of history being passed down. And, and I think what we're doing here 
trying to recruit, you know, more people into military psychology. It's like inheriting that vision that came down from, you know, a few generations from now. So, yeah, you know, I think, and that's an important thing to emphasize. And I think this is probably true of all the services, Army, Air Force, and Navy, but it is a community of people, Mm -hmm. which may be surprising, you know, because we don't all work together. You know, we all are spread throughout the world, but you know, I have really come to love the people in my Navy psychology community through the years. And people like Bob McCullough and Eric Getka mm-hmm. have a lot to do with that, instilling that sense of, of community, shared mission. You know, it, that's been one of the things that has kept me in it all these years is just, you know, the quality of the people and just the fact that we've been able to stay connected as a community despite, you know, our geographical separations, you know, you become very close friends and colleagues with people that you may have never actually worked with just because of the shared experiences and the networking. And uh, that's been a big part of it for me, a rewarding part of military psychology. Yeah, definitely. And that speaks to Ethan and I, both our experience. We we never met and through military psychology, we became fast friends and who we are hosting this podcast together. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. We met tech, I mean, sort of officially through Division 19. So that was kind of a, a sort of a follow-up question I had to this conversation. And I think the emphasis on mentorship and the community, I think, is, is a really strong sort of reference point that, that we're going to continue to sort of instill throughout these conversations that we have on the podcast. But I'm, I'm wondering if Division 19 was a prominent division back when you were just starting out in psychology? Did you have any involvement with them at all? Well, that's a good question. On your second half of your question, not much. No, I didn't have much involvement with Division 19. So I'm not sure how big a deal it was when I first joined. And I I suspect that it was not as influential part of our community as it is now. You know, when I first joined, military mental health was kind of a sleepy little part of the military. We worked in hospitals and clinics mm-hmm. away from the fleet, to use a Navy term, which is what I'll probably end up doing throughout our conversation. <laughs> but we were away from, kind of, yeah, away from kind of the Navy. And it was, you know, they called us the wizard. They still do. But that's because, you know, that's you'd send one of your people to a psychologist and they disappear. You never see them again. <laughs> and uh, so we were this small group that most people didn't want to have much to do with and didn't know much about. But over time, you know, as we all know, particularly since 9-11, but before then, too, it started, we've become a real integral part of the military. And for years, I think it's still true now, I used to tell people, you know, you can't pick up a military publication without finding some article about mental health. And you can't pick up a mental health publication without finding some article about the military. It became a... Yeah. You know, a big part of what the military was all about, the focus on mental health and readiness of the fighting forces. So I think that's still true. And I think that's probably why Division 19 has grown so much through the years. It's military psychology has grown and it's become much more of a prominent specialty within our psychology community. And as I said, it's become a very prominent part of the military. There's mental health people, psychologists in particular who have spread throughout the military and are working in commands that we never worked in before. And that demand is only growing. So I think Division 19, I don't remember that being a prominent part of my early career, but I think it grew along with the influence of military psychology through the years. Yeah. So in thinking of that, I hope that this episode and you sharing your story, Captain Rolf, and other uh, psychologists sharing their, their story, we can serve as, because not everybody is going to have the luxury or the privilege to have a mentor like Dr. McCullough or Dr. Gekka, you know, for myself. And hopefully this podcast can serve as that inspiration for them to join. Yeah. And so kind of pivot into your training pathway. When you went to graduate school, I guess there wasn't really a PhD in military psychology. So how did you get into military psychology when you're going through grad school? Well, as I said, that was always my focus as I was going through grad school. So I stayed in touch with Dr. McCullough and other people within the Navy. And I remember I was a Navy guy already, so I didn't even look at the Army and the Air Force. I was I was just focused on the Navy psychology. So when internship time came around, right back then the Navy had three 
internships. We still do, but we had three that people like me could go to. And so I interviewed at all three places. And they're traditionally, through the years, the big three hospitals within Navy medicine, Bethesda, now Walter Reed, San Diego, and Portsmouth Mm -hmm. in Norfolk area of Virginia. So I interviewed at all three places and got selected at Bethesda. And so then I came back on active duty for that internship and never left for years and years after that. So, you know, again, my interests were always kind of focused on that, on learning as much as I could about psychology, but then practicing it in the military. Was Bethesda your number one pick? It was, yes. And I remember... You know, another mentor of mine called me, you know, that was before this computer match for internships that we have now. (laughs) And and they could start calling you at 9 a.m. Eastern. And there were rules surrounding the whole internship selection process that you were, as an applicant, you were allowed to either say yes, no, or put a site on hold. You could keep one site on hold at a time while you waited to see if someone higher on your list was going to call you. But Bethesda was my first choice. And right at nine o'clock, I got a call from Dr. Marvin Pod offering me a spot in the Bethesda internship. Dr. Pod, another legendary figure in our Navy psychology community, he was the uh, training director at Bethesda for decades, mm-hmm. a very psychodynamic oriented psychologist. And I came in as a very cognitively behavioral-based psychologist who had very little time for (laughs) things like psychoanalysis. But, you know, so we jokingly made fun of each other and still do. He'll talk about my resistance and and I'll talk about (laughs) evidence-based for what he does. But he did teach me a lot. And I I am grateful for it. And and he still remains, he's retired now, but he's still a a part of the Bethesda internship. He'll come in and and talk to us. And I really do enjoy that connection with him. He taught me, I still remember, he kind of taught me to, hey, slow down. You know, I mean, I was one of these very manualized, okay, let's get this done kind of, you know, therapist. He's just like, you know, slow down. (laughs) What are you doing? What makes you think you know all the answers? Uh, Kind of teaching me that, hey, psychotherapy is, it's not me telling a client what to do. Right. The two of us walking a path together and seeing where it goes. And he taught me that early on. And that was a, a great benefit to me. So, yes, he's the one that called me and got me into Bethesda. And, you know, that same internship is the one I work with now at Walter Reed. That, that internship's been accredited since the mid-60s and mm-hmm. uh, we're strong. just picked 12 new great interns yesterday, which was match day as we're having this conversation. It was, yeah. Yep. And, uh, so that internship now led by a colleague of mine named Dr. Richard Berkfold, mm-hmm. who is Dr. Pod's heir apparent and another retired Navy captain psychologist who I've worked with for years and years. So have the, the privilege of working with him now as we continue to move this internship forward. You said 12 spots. Six spots at Bethesda, sorry, okay. and we have six in San Diego. So that's a good segue. You know, we have three internships in the Navy and two of them we put in this APIC match, the computer match that, that most internships participate in. So Walter Reed and San Diego are reserved for the match. But we also have a, a fully accredited doctoral internship at Naval Medical Center Portsmouth in Virginia, but we do not put that one in the match. So that internship is reserved for people like Lieutenant Liu, who is a USIS student. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and for those who are in our scholarship program, the Health Profession Scholarship Program, if you're for the Navy at least, if you're in one of our training pipelines, as things are these days, we route you to that Portsmouth internship. And that's something we've done for for several years. There's pros and cons to that. But the idea is that it's a bit disingenuous to participate in a match if you know (laughs) who the people are that are coming into you. So, So if you are already committed to the Navy and in one of our training pipelines, the scholarship program or USIS, we send you to Portsmouth. But otherwise, if you are 
at a civilian program with no affiliation with the Navy, you can match to our internships at Walter Reed or Naval Medical Center San Diego. And that's where we get most of our people really through that big pay pick matching process. Yeah, it's really interesting that the Navy does it that way. I kind of I kind of like that. I'm a HPSB scholarship recipient myself with the Air Force, and I participated in the match. The part of the contract with the Air Force was not a guarantee to have an internship with them, although, you know, very much encouraged and was my plan all along. The Air Force certainly doesn't make that guarantee. And I think that's an important thing to highlight across the branches. They do it a little bit differently. I'm curious for the folks at USIS who are Army and Air Force, do they have something a part of their USIS contract that sort of guarantees them an internship or is it not that way? I am not an expert on what they do. So if I misstate, someone can tell me. I don't think it's a guarantee. There's a contract that's signed that requires them to rank their service internships highest on their list to maximize the chance that they'll match a military internship. I don't think there's a guarantee of that. And I'm not sure what they do in probably the rare instances if someone doesn't match with one of their internships. Yeah, I actually have known a couple of individuals who did get the HPSP scholarship and did not match through the APIC match process with one of the active duty sites. And one of the individuals I'm thinking about at the moment did his internship at the VA and then he kicked off his active duty career after that. So, you know, I don't, I don't know why, you know, that really happens, but I think it's really nice that the Navy actually does have the Portsmouth site. Yeah. And has that sort of built into the training trajectory. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's worked out well. You know, I guess the downside would be if someone, for some reason, doesn't qualify for that internship through their graduate training somehow. But we're with these people. You know, if you select for our scholarship or for USIS, you know, we're with you for years. We can kind of work with you and make sure that you're on the right track if there's any doubt about you completing your academic requirements and being ready for internship, we can make sure that happens. So we've never had an issue where someone somehow came in through those programs but wasn't ready for internship on time. We've been able to work with people well. And, you know, an advantage, I don't know what you think about this, Tenant Lou, but, you know, when it comes time to apply for internships, if you already have an internship, it makes your life a lot easier if you kind of know that, hey, I'm all set. I'm all, I've got an APA accredited internship that I've already kind of been accepted to. And so I'm going to do that. So I think it does help people in that fourth year of grad school when they know they have that internship uh, at their disposal. A lot of stress alleviated. Absolutely. Right. And I think there, there's also the element that commitment, when you know you sign up for USIS or HPSP, that there is a track for you to stay on, then you spend your entire graduate career, say, for instance, my past four years, uh, everything that I do is helping me to be a better military psychologist. Having that comfort to know that after that, the internship is also going to be military psychology related helps, you know, alleviate, you know, like Ethan was saying, the stress of all that. So we threw around a few acronyms and for people who are not familiar in the audience, USIS stands for Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. It's a military medical school in Bethesda, Maryland. And I'll turn it over to you, Captain Ralph, to talk more about USIS. And another acronym that Ethan shared, the HPSB, is the Health Professions Scholarship Program, which is another track to be a military psychologist. And Captain Ralph, if you wouldn't mind, kind of explain these two things, USIS and HPSB, and how that can help people to be a military psychologist. Yeah, no, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. So if someone who's listening to this podcast is an undergraduate or has, is considering pursuing a doctorate in clinical or counseling psychology, if they're at that stage of their career or their training, then the two programs that you just asked about are the two possibilities that are available. So USIS, the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, is a military medical school on the campus of Walter Reed in Bethesda. And one of the programs there is a doctoral, a PhD program in clinical psychology. Mm -hmm. And that's open. There are students in that program who are in the Navy, there are students who are in the Army, there are students who are in the Air Force, and there's some who are civilians, not affiliated with any of the services. But that is the program that allows you to serve on active duty as a military officer while going to grad school, which 
is of enormous benefit. You start as an ensign, to use the Navy in particular, as an O-1, the lowest officer rank. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're on active duty, so you get all the pay and benefits as anyone else who's serving as an officer in the Navy while you go to graduate school. It's very competitive. So congratulations, Lieutenant Lou, that you were selected. (laughs) Um, There are hundreds of applicants for all told probably about a dozen spots per year. The Navy traditionally has two students per year, uh, which is not many. Uh, um, So that's a great program if you can get it. Love to have more, but right now we, we are limited to usually about two. And if you choose that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you go to USIS four years there in grad school, and go to the doctoral internship at Portsmouth, as we mentioned before, and then you serve as a Navy psychologist after that. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the minimum payback period is seven years after that. So for those who are considering USIS, it's a great, great program, great grad school that allows you to get all these benefits while you go to school. But it is quite a commitment. It's a 12-year commitment overall if you take all your education and your required service afterwards into account. That's an incredibly uh, competitive program. I'm wondering for folks who are listening who might be prior military service, I'm wondering if if there's value or benefit to having prior service experience as a, an applicant to the USIS program. There is. That's a great question. One of the, the things that's important to keep in mind with USIS, you know, it's open to anyone. Not You can be a uh, civilian undergrad with nothing to do with the military, you can apply to USIS or you can be in the military and apply to USIS. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to actually applying from active duty. The advantage is that it's great to have that military experience that gives you a lot of cultural competence into your the world that you are going to serve. Mm-hmm. And yes, that operational experience is valued. On the other hand, though, those who are on active duty tend to be for reasons that are easy to understand, they tend to be less experienced when it comes to research and other academic things that the faculty at USIS value. So while it's it's good to be uh, have that operational experience, you, those on active duty often find themselves at a disadvantage when competing against, you know, a student from who's an undergraduate at Michigan, for example, who has had the opportunity to work in labs with a lot of great research professors. So it all depends. And we have a mixture at USIS in the Navy of people that have come straight from the civilian world mm-hmm. and people that have come from the military, which I think is probably great. It's probably the best of both worlds. But it is. And one thing I will say to people who are applying from active duty is, hey, you got to do what you can to accentuate your academic bona fides to show that, hey, you can succeed in this grueling a graduate school environment because that doesn't always come through in some of the applications. That's a very apt, very apt description. Grueling graduate education. And I'm about to uh, head to internship and I think I still feel the pressure of a graduate school. I know what it has done to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're still in recovery from it. Right. I'm excited about internship. But then again, you know, graduate school definitely is difficult. It's tough. And USIS definitely made me a way better clinician than and military psychologist than, than I can ever imagine that I would be. So it's a great place. It's APA accredited and it's not military psychology PhD. It's actually a clinical psychology PhD. So it's a valuable degree that's transferable across a different situation. If at the end of the day, you know, you retire and then you want to have a private practice, you know, you're able to do that. Yeah. So I was going to say the other program you asked about is the health profession scholarship program, uh, which again is available Army, Air Force or Navy. For the Navy, we accept it changes every year, usually between about five or six people per year. And at least the way we do it in the Navy is you can apply for that scholarship during your first year of graduate school. So you have to actually already be enrolled in an APA accredited doctoral program in either clinical or counseling psychology. Mm-hmm. So you apply typically in your first year. And if accepted, the Navy then will pick up the tab for years two, three, and four. So all tuition and fees paid for. 
and a stipend, which is pretty good. Uh, I think the, don't quote me on this, I think the stipend that uh, HPSP students get is about 2400 a month this year. So it is a scholarship that is designed to support you as you're going to graduate school to give you enough to live off of and to pay all the, the tuition that you need. So if you get that program, again, you're not on active duty, you're officially a reservist. So you are able to do summertime reserve trainings that actually allow you to be activated for up to 45 days in the summer and earn additional income doing that. That activated time can either be at your school. They call them school orders. So that's kind of a nice deal. You're just doing what you would normally be doing anyway, but you're doing it as an activated reservist in the Navy. Or we do have opportunities for people to do externships in Navy environments. And some people choose to go to the required school, which is called Officer Development School, which every psychologist has to go to kind of as an orientation into the Navy. That's a five-week school in Newport, Rhode Island, to sort of the our version of boot camp for psychologists, mm-hmm. although it's not nearly as, as grueling as boot camp. But it does serve that purpose to orient you to the military before you serve on active duty. Mm-hmm. So HPSP, three-year scholarship, then you go to our internship at Portsmouth, same as the USIS students. And afterwards, though, you only owe three years. So it's quite the deal. If you choose to get out after three years, which is your first set of orders, mm-hmm. you can do so. But I think most people stay in, but you have the choice to leave if you want to. So that's what HPSP is. Yeah. I think one of the things that I actually really appreciate about you sharing your entrance into the military, you certainly had involvement with the military prior. Military psychology was something that you were definitely considering. But when you came in, you did not have USIS and you did not have this scholarship that is a nice training pipeline into the military. And that option still exists for people today. And I think that's the most common question we get from students. You know, people hear about military psychology and they're like, well, how do I do that? Do I wear a uniform? Like, what does that mean? Like, I'm not, it's confusing to people. Yeah. So I'm wondering, can you speak more to joining just right out of being a civilian? I guess we'd call it direct accession into the military from a clinical psychology perspective. Sure. In answering that, let me just say there, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, we have five pathways to become Navy psychologists. And we just finished talking about two of them, Mm -hmm. HPSP and USIS. There's two more before you get to that direct accession part. You know, most people come into the, the Navy as a psychologist at the internship point. So I mentioned we just took 12 people this year through the APIC match. That's how I came into the psychology community at, at my internship point. So that's traditionally how we've gotten most of our Navy psychologists. They are civilians as they go through grad school. And then as they're applying for internship, they consider the military and they match to one of our accredited doctoral internships. So there's that. We also have an APA accredited postdoc at Portsmouth, which is a smaller program, but for people that have completed their internship and have their degrees, we do have a postdoc. But what you just asked about is, is our fifth and really final entry into the Navy which we call our direct accession program. And that is if you already have completed your education and are licensed as a psychologist, you can come straight in as a fully licensed psychologist. And we have some great people who came in that way. It's not as common to come in that way, but we do offer that. And again, the number of people we are allowed to bring in through that path changes every year. This year it was only two. So we have two direct accessions coming in, but usually it's between two and five. And that is for people that just decide, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working as a psychologist and I think I might like to do that in the Navy. And when you do that, again, we send you to the school that I mentioned before, Officer Development School in Newport, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, we'll tend to assign you to one of our major medical centers, either San Diego Portsmouth, Camp Lejeune, which is a medical center. We want 
people who are coming in as direct accessions to be in training-like environments where they can learn the ropes from other Navy psychologists. So these people already know psychology. They don't necessarily know military psychology. So it's important that they're around people who can help them through that. But again, yeah, that's that's an opportunity that's available to people. You don't have to catch us during your education if you decide this is something you want to do. You can do it as a fully licensed practicing clinical psychologist. What would be some of the benefits of that? I mean, why would somebody do that other than really cool environment to practice in, unique? When people ask about the benefits, I sort of divide them into two categories. You know, one is kind of the practical benefits money and, and and job security. And, you know, if you come in as a direct accession in the Navy, there's loan repayment options that are available to you that aren't available if you're coming in as a trainee. There's accession bonuses. And so people may just kind of do the math and say, hey, this is a combined with all the military benefits that I could be offered. This is a smart decision to make financially and job security wise. There's other, though, benefits. I don't think people should join the military just for those benefits. I don't think Mm -hmm. financial reasons is probably a very good reason. I think the best reasons to do that is if you look what military psychologists are doing and you decide, hey, that's the kind of work I want to do. And I think there's a lot going for us in that respect. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that military psychology, Navy psychology has grown a lot over the past couple decades. And we are in a position here where we have a lot of respect from our military community and where we have the ability to have a, a significant impact, not just for our patients, but for the organization that we serve. And I won't go in too much depth on this because uh, I don't want to bore everybody, but you know, we started in the mid-90s in the Navy, sending psychologists on aircraft carriers, which was a big leap. We're we're leaving the medical realm and we're going out to a ship. And that turned out to be a great thing for us. You know, we had the opportunity not only to help the individual patients we saw, but to impact the operational readiness of an entire organization. And now we do that kind of work throughout the Department of the Navy. We do it with the Marine Corps in a variety of types of Marine Corps units. We do it on a lot more ships than just aircraft carriers. We do it with special forces, with Navy SEALs and EOD teams, submarine squadrons. We have branched out into all of these operational settings where we do a lot of clinical psych, but also performance psych. We do a lot of prevention-oriented interventions. We do a lot of organizational psych in terms of advising commanding officers in order to maximize unit readiness. So it's something that you can have a huge impact. And commanding officers through the years have, have seen this impact, which is another reason we've grown. It has increased our ability to influence the readiness of the military. Right. And I think if you are thinking of joining, it's because you want to do that. I think in our field, you know, sometimes everyone has days where you think, man, am I helping anybody? (laughs) Am I having any measurable impact on anybody's life? And you don't really wonder that in the military. I think it's very rewarding and fulfilling to be able to have this discernible impact on an organization over time. And I think that's something that appeals to a lot of people when they can start to see what they might have the opportunity to do if they join the military. Very, very well said, sir. I think one of the things that I want to highlight from our previous conversation was there are many different ways to become a military psychologist from, say, fresh out of undergrad and trying to apply to a graduate school. There is um, uses and NHPSP. And then if you finish your doctoral coursework. If you want to become a military psychologist, there's the internship and postdoc opportunity. And if you have completed that, then you can consider direct accession. So military does make becoming a military psychology just a very easy thing to do. We're only talking about Navy tracks too. So Ethan, I'm not sure if there's other things in, in the Air Force 
that we haven't covered today? You know, I think from my understanding, I, I think the training pipelines are very similar. The entrance options are not identical, but very similar. And I can't speak for the Army, but but familiar with folks that are in those training pipelines. And I hear a lot of similarities and a lot of overlap. You know, I think the the best way, regardless of what stage you're in, the, the best way to learn more is get connected with somebody who's done it or get connected to a recruiter who's specifically a health professions recruiter for whatever, whichever branch you would like to pursue and talk with them about what the options are and and how to get started. But, you know, from my perspective in the Air Force, like I said, I was a scholarship recipient through the HPSP program and almost an identical uh, pathway as Dr. Ralph had shared. So I really, again, I'm going to emphasize, I, I really appreciate our guest today because it really highlights all of the different ways that you can join. But specifically, you know, you don't have to get the scholarship to become a military psychologist and, and you don't have to go to USIS. There are a lot of ways to join. I appreciate, Dr. Ralph, your your emphasis on the reasons, though. I mean, I would agree. I mean, there's so many unique opportunities in military psychology. And I think just in my short experience, one of the things that I'm reflecting on is just sort of the groundbreaking nature to it. Like the military at least in my experience, they're trying things in the field of psychology. We're, we're exploring opportunities and have access to a really unique population where we can try some things out and see what works. Dr. Ralph, I'm curious if you would agree with that or any reaction to that. Totally. You know, one of the things when I talked about going on aircraft carriers, I was on a carrier and in the 90s. I was one of that initial cadre of psychologists mm-hmm. to go off on a ship. So one thing I've always appreciated about being in the military is you don't deal with things like billing and and uh, oh yeah and other things like that. And when you are on a ship, for instance, you run your own clinic. You know, if if you're it, you don't worry about insurance and do I have to make certain diagnoses to make sure this session is covered? And are there session limits I have to worry about? Or is there someone telling me what I can and can't do? You can focus on providing the best care to this particular person and figuring out yourself in some ways, hey, here's what I'd like to do. And in a a setting like that, there's no one's going to tell you you can't do it. Now, you always have peer review and mentors who can assist you through all of that. But, you know, if you are doing something that is within the standard of care and, and you can be a little creative in the kind of care that you give. So that's always been, I think, a big advantage, particularly in the operational settings I was talking about. One thing you did mention, and before I forget to say it, you know, if you're interested in joining the Navy, it's great to connect with a medical programs officer recruiter. That's the type of recruiter that you want. And I can help with that. You know, if you, I don't know the best way to get people my contact information, but sometimes recruiters won't always know the ins and outs of our programs. We're kind of a unique community when it comes to recruiting. So even a medical recruiter may not quite understand how all these things work. So I do a lot of work with recruiters as well, making sure that they get the gist of what we do. So if you do, if you are looking into this and having trouble finding a recruiter, or if your recruiter says, I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) when it comes to HPSP or USIS, let me help you navigate that. That's one of the things that I do. So just to throw that out there. And that's great. And I guess this is a good place to put in a plug. Captain Ralph and also Ensign Aldrich, Laura Aldrich, both have created a really neat Facebook page to link people to Navy Psychology Recruitment. I think it's very easily found to search uh, Navy Psychology Recruitment. EPA Division 19 also has a Facebook page and a lot of great resources and great people to help you if you are considering this path. And also APA Division 19 student Facebook page is also another resource if you ever have any questions about entering and joining as a military psychologist. Yeah, that's a great way to start that Facebook page because that'll connect you with me. I probably don't look at that Facebook page as much as I should, (laughs) but um, certainly it can get you started if you're having trouble getting started. And then also, if you know, if you Google Navy psychology programs, you'll get to our homepage on the Walter Reed server, which has all of our accession programs, all of my contact information on there. And um, you can always reach out to me through that as well. Hey, Keen, I'm kind of mindful of time, Dr. Ralph. 
you know, really fantastic to have you. Keen, I'm wondering if we have any sort of last questions or wrap up thoughts. Right. My last question is to wrap things up today. We talked about many things pertaining how to join and how to become a military psychologist. And we skirted around a, a few things. We briefly talked about the quality of a military psychologist. And I think, Captain Ralph, you, you mentioned there is the operational requirement when entering uses, for instance. You know, there's also the academic. And then there's also the sense of purpose why you join military psychologists. So as a way to wrap things up, I wonder if you have any more thoughts on that. Well. I'm sort of mindful of people who are considering this are often people that have never thought about joining the military before. Mm -hmm. And for some, it can seem like kind of a crazy thing to do. And I always imagine, you know, for instance, someone that's decided to go to one of our internships, someone in their mid to late 20s calling up their parents and saying, hey, guess what? I'm joining the Navy. Yeah. (laughs) The reaction to that. So I realize it can seem like kind of an unusual step to take. But I guess I'm not a recruiter, and it's certainly not for everyone. But I think it's worth considering. If you're, if you're thinking about it, it's, it's worth looking into. It's, you know, there are negatives to being in the military, for sure. You know, you don't always have complete control over where you work, for instance, although more control than most people think you do. It's always a collaborative process to choose duty states and things of that sort. And, you know, there's deployment that, you know, certainly over the last 15 years, we've deployed to a lot of places that people don't necessarily want to go to. That's less true these days, but it could happen again. So there are, you know, things to think about in terms of duties that you would have to fulfill. But, you know, it's, as we said, it is a very, very rewarding experience. If you're in this field to help people and make a difference. And perhaps if you're the type that doesn't necessarily want to do the traditional things every day that you may be inclined to get out of your office and get out and about and and do some things that are a bit more adventurous, it's definitely worth looking into. And I guess my point is, you know, when I think a lot of people just stop themselves from thinking about military psychology because they hit on the word military and they're like, well, that's crazy. (laughs) Why would I join The Army, for instance, or the Air Force or the Navy. (laughs) In fact, there's a million good reasons to do it and to not let the idea that it's kind of an out-of-the-box career path to not let that deter you because it it is something that has been very valuable to me personally. And I I don't really know many people who regret their time in in the service in this capacity. So it's, I guess I would encourage people, hey, look into it. There's a lot of great professional opportunities, a lot of great opportunities for personal growth. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, certainly something that that deserves attention if you're of a mind to, to give it a shot. Yeah, and back to one of your prior points, find a mentor. You know, I mean, those Facebook pages are valuable in that it's a rich area to find a mentor with a lot of experience. And potentially somebody who's gone through all five of these entrance tracks. And for students who might be considering this, get linked up with somebody who has done it or is currently doing it. And and I I think that's a really nice way in military fashion to explore the career and explore these training opportunities. So I think that that's a, a really valuable point to nail home. Right, right. Yeah, lots of people. Yeah, don't take my word for it. And ask people who have gone through it or are going through it, and get the real story and see what they have to say. Well, thank you so much, Captain Ralph, for the wisdom and experience that you shared today. I am sure that the audience have enjoyed what you have shared and would take uh, what you said and hopefully inspire some of them to contact you or contact us and be a military psychologist. So thank you so much. And Ethan, is there anything? Yeah, no, just... uh... Huge thanks. I think this is a really nice overview of the opportunities and the pathways and, you know, our audience of reaching students and early career psychologists. I think this is just such a nice introduction to the possibilities. And as we have more guests on this show and our our prior guests up to this point, it's just so fascinating to hear all of the different experiences and learn of the opportunities that are out there. I, you know, I love hearing your experience of being part of the initial cadre to, to go out on ships. And 
there are endless opportunities for things like that that could happen over the next you know foreseeable future. So I think it's a really valuable career, and I'm excited for my career to to continue. And it's just great to hear from people like yourself who've done it and lived it and experienced it. It gets me excited. So mm-hmm. I hope others uh, experience the same thing. Great. No, thanks for the opportunity to get the word out. This is a very nice show you guys put together. For an Air Force guy, Ethan, it's pretty well done. So, <laughs> hey, well, you know, I have to have a partner in the Navy. I mean, I, you That's can't right. do anything right. without ships, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Navy lead the way. <laughs> yep. Well, for those listening, look forward to you joining us in the future and really excited to welcome guests as we talk more about these topics. Captain John Ralph, really appreciate your time and commitment to Navy psychology and the military throughout your career. Hats off to you. And Keen, thanks for kicking us off today and and putting all this together. It was a lot of fun. Captain Ralph, take good care and hope to connect with you in the future. Great. You too, guys. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye, sir. Bye. We thank you for your time for listening to our episode. We hope this has been beneficial and educational, and we would love to hear from you. Any questions, any suggestions, any feedback, you can send that to our email at div19studentrep at gmail.com. And that is div19studentrep, as in R-E-P, at gmail.com. For more information about our guest speakers and ways to reach out to them, please check our podcast description. And we do have other ways to reach out to us via social media and Ethan has those information. And Ethan? Yeah, so feel free to engage further with us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. You can search at Division19 Students to find us on both of those platforms. We thank you for your engagement and listening to our podcast and we look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.